Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, you wonderful humans, and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today, I have episode 39 for you all, and I feel as if we should probably do a special episode when we reach that big milestone of episode 50. So let me know if you guys have got any suggestions as we're not too far away at all. And today, I am back with another solo episode. And if you're new here, my name is Elliot, and it's amazing to have you here. And if you do enjoy today's podcast, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the future episodes, and it'd be greatly appreciated appreciated if you rate the show five stars and leave us a short review. The podcast is growing. We have been listened to in a total of 28 countries so far, from Spain to Kenya to Singapore to Bahrain to Australia and even in Bulgaria too. And it's all thanks to you guys who are tuning in and listening week on week. So let's keep making an impact and let's get simple and actionable health and fitness advice to as many people as possible. So on to today's topics, we're doing the traditional format of the nutrition, lifestyle, and mindset question, along with the training question, which we're going to start with today. And aside from losing weight, building muscle, and having long-term health, the, one of the biggest things that people ask me is, Elliot, how do I improve my posture? And that is the first question we have today. So I would argue that just about everyone would be happy to improve their current posture. Yet so many of us are still walking around with our shoulders rounded, our heads forward, as we're staring into our phones, we're hunched over our desks at a work desk that isn't set up optimally. And I guarantee that you'll probably slouch in as I just said that and you just sat up a little straighter. I know that I did anyway. So let's begin with what posture actually is. So we have static posture, which is what you traditionally think of when we're standing, seated or lying down, etc. And then we have dynamic posture, which the clue is in the name for when we're walking, running or generally just in motion. So 
those are the two different postures we have. And to obtain optimal posture, and if we want to look at our posture and assess it, we want to look at five key areas. The first is the alignment of our head. The next is looking for the natural spine curvature. And for reference, we have the cervical portion of the spine, which is from the base of the neck upwards, the thoracic portion, which is the curvature in your upper back. It begins where the cervical ends and ends around the top of the lower back. And then finally, the lumbar curve, which most of us will you know, know as our curvature in our lower back. And then we have shoulder symmetry that we should be looking at, and then pelvic symmetry, and the final trio, which is alignment of our hip, knee and ankle joints. And if you want to get a proper postural analysis, I would encourage you to go see a physio who can do a full comprehensive assessment. And with that being said, most of us will be aware of our postural abnormalities. Usually we'll notice that our shoulders and heads are potentially too far forward. Our pelvis and hips are tilted back excessively, or our arms seem to be different lengths, etc. Or one of the biggest things that will indicate this, of course, is pain and discomfort. Essentially, good posture is us doing our best to keep in tune with our body's natural alignment of the areas I just mentioned above. Unfortunately, there's a plethora of things in our modern lifestyles that can cause non-optimal posture. And interestingly enough, a lot of people will suggest it's exercise that causes them injuries or sports that cause them injuries. However, I think exercise and sports just highlight these pre-existing imbalances that were already there. But once you start loading these or going into positions that your body's not used to, then it's just your body's way of saying, you know, this was going to happen anyway, but now you've exacerbated it. And we're not used to being in these positions that were technically we should be able to go into, but due to you being so rigid and all these lifestyle uh, behaviors and habits that have gone on, we don't go in that way anymore. And then injuries tend to happen. So I believe there is four areas for us to focus on when it comes to improving our posture. And these you can literally implement from today. I don't think any is important than another. I think you should implement and look at all of these and it should be pretty simple. And then the final thing is just make sure that you are consistently doing these as well. And the first one on my list is habit. Unless we're born with a certain condition, most of us were born with good postural alignment. And over the years with the bad habits that I'm about to mention, we've ended up getting poorer and poorer a posture, slouching, being on our phones, wearing certain footwear for too long, crossing our legs, wearing a backpack for too long, or even females wearing a bag on one arm, or even males, in fact, wearing a bag on one arm. So the first thing we want to look at and identify is our poor habits. If you want to improve your posture, but you're sitting in your squishy desk chair, scrolling on your phone for three hours per day, it's going to be a challenge. So once we've identified these bad habits, we need to find solutions. Maybe it's having a standing desk as an option, as well as your seated one. Maybe it's getting a new desk chair. Perhaps it's only using your phone for 10 to 15 minute periods at a time before you take a break from it. And then the next step is to habitually remind yourself to move into good posture and good body alignment. So maybe you set reminders on your phone every 30 minutes that flashes up and saying, shoulders back, eyes fixed forward. Perhaps you ask your friends to give you a nudge if they see you slouching. Just like any habit with consistent implementation and persistence, you'll find yourself eventually doing this naturally. Number two on this list, is environment. I heard a lot of complaints from my clients who started working from home last year, who started having neck pain, back pain, etc., as they didn't realize the 
impact of a non-ergonomic workspace and how detrimental it could be. I also had a client who mentioned that his child went back to school after the past year and they were saying how uncomfortable the chairs at school were compared to what they had at home. And it was only once they took some time away from that did they realize that our workplaces, our homes and our beds are where we spend the most time. It's so important that all of these are designed to support optimal posture or at least be sufficient to not make these things worse. I was in a bed store around a year ago and the saleswoman, she she did me well. She, she really had me here. She said, you spend roughly 33% of your life in your bed sleeping if you sleep eight hours a night. And then she was like, well, it makes sense to spend and invest good money on a bed and mattress, right? And that made that a lot more compelling. Very, very smart woman. And I definitely see the point. And I didn't consider this in the past, but it's very true, right? If we think about how much, how many hours we spend on our beds and our mattresses, it makes sense that we want to get something that's decent that supports our posture. The next is mobility and flexibility work. And just a quick clarification on these, because a lot of people are not sure what the difference between mobility and flexibility actually is. So flexibility can be best defined as muscle or muscle groups, their ability to lengthen passively through a range of motion. And to give you a visual example, if you're doing like a hamstring stretch, right? The goal is to essentially go as far as your body will allow you to safely go, as much range of motion as you've got in your hamstrings. And there isn't any issues if your back bends, for example, right? That's not a problem whatsoever if we're in an unloaded stretch. Whereas mobility, it's best defined as a muscle or muscle group's ability to lengthen actively through a range of motion. So let's take a Romanian deadlift, for example. If your upper back starts to curve over when you get into that bottom position, you are no longer in active range of motion for your hamstrings. You've been forced into that position by the load and it's placing that load potentially on your joints and other muscle groups that you're not intending to target. So for the most part, when we're exercising, we want to stay within our active range of motion to stay injury-free and exercise effectively and safely. So it's not an issue when we're not loaded, which is essentially what we're doing when we're stretching, for example, but the load can obviously force us into certain positions, place more stress on certain areas. And that's where the difference between mobility, which is just going through that active range of motion where we don't go any further than what we are able to do within our hamstrings capability. Whereas passive range of motion is when we're going to go beyond by compromising, maybe not compromising isn't the right word, but maybe allowing our bodies to go into certain positions with other areas. So our back rounding over, for example. So hopefully that you can now see the difference between the two. And if I'm honest, I've not really thought about the optimal prescription of mobility, flexibility per week. But I'd say an hour for both is probably pretty reasonable. And I know this might sound a lot, but I would break it down like this. 15 minutes of mobility work before a workout session, let's say four times per week. That's pretty much what I do at this moment in time. And then 15 minutes of flexibility work potentially as part of your evening routine. I think that would be sufficient for most of us. And if I'm honest, I'm not there with the flexibility work, but I am doing the mobility work. So I'm 50% there at least. And if you search on YouTube, bodyweight warrior, beginner flexibility routine or beginner mobility routine, he has a 15 to 20 minute options for both. And I think personally think they're brilliant. I use them all the time. I send them to all my clients and it's really, really easy to follow along with. And finally, the fourth one, exercise. Weak muscles will not support you in holding good posture. If your muscles are weak, you'll likely get fatigued quicker and you'll find yourself in positions of poor posture regularly. 
Exercise is your antidote to this. It's not just about your core either. Like you just want a strong body overall. You also want to be mindful that you don't exacerbate your other issues during your training too. So if you're already hunched over with your shoulders, please, for the love of God, don't skip your back exercises to favor bench pressing, okay? Think of it logically. Let's look at a seated cable row, for example. What does your body look like in that contracted upright position? Your chest is tall. The shoulders are down and back. You're squeezing the back muscles together. You're essentially in the opposite position of what you would be when you're rounded over. It kind of makes sense that this is going to improve your body's positioning, right? That's not to say pressing is bad per se, but when we do press, we want to retract our shoulder blades, maintain the natural curvature. Whereas unfortunately, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, most dudes will just lie flat on their backs, press, let their shoulders travel forward and make the issues that they already have so much more worse. It's also worth mentioning here that when you do that, you won't actually be able to contract your chest optimally, which most people will think, okay, well, you know, my chest isn't growing, so I'm just going to do more chest. But that is not your solution whatsoever. It's about getting your body into that optimal position, teaching yourself and learning how to contract your chest effectively, and then you will get the results that you're after and you won't compromise your posture even more. So there you have it, guys. To summarize, remember, first things first, that a lot of this is habit. Remove the bad ones, set prompts to help you create new ones. Next is be mindful of your environment. Assess your workspace, your living space, and the space in which you sleep. Next, do consistent mobility and flexibility work and show off your newfound knowledge of knowing the difference between the two with your friends now. And then finally, train your muscles and get strong. And you better be sitting up straight after all of that. So on to the next. This is a question that's come up a lot. It's been very prevalent recently and I've wanted to cover it to make sure that I have something out there that I can refer people to and hopefully this helps. So Elliot, when is the best time to start my journey? Should I wait until the summer is over and my social calendar is lighter. And I'll be honest, I'm going to start here. Sometimes there are better times to start your health and fitness journey. However, you're never going to find the right time to start your journey. And in my eyes, the longer you wait, the more challenging it usually is to get started. I recently created a video on Instagram called The Cost of Inaction, which I don't think is considered enough. And let me give you an analogy to illustrate this. Let's say our laundry basket is currently two thirds of the way full. There's enough there for it to be worth a wash, but instead of doing it now, you decide to put it off for a couple of days because you're busy, you're tired, etc. And then you put it off for another couple of days. That laundry basket isn't staying at the same fullness. As you're changing your clothes each day, it's getting more and more full until the point of which it's overflowing. Eventually, you're going to have to handle this laundry. And once you finally reach the point where it's so unbearable to look at and you can't even put anything else in that basket, you finally decide to put on a wash. However, because it was so full, you can't wash it all as it won't fit in the machine. And now you're doing the full load, but you've still got basically a laundry basket that's half full already. You feel like you've had a never-ending amount of laundry to do, and you've just put out the existing load to dry, and another needs doing, right? Does that sound familiar? Because the same can be said about your health and fitness. There's almost an obliviousness to the fact that the theoretical laundry basket is getting fuller. And the fuller it gets, the harder it's going to be to empty that basket or even face it in the first place. 
Being five kilos overweight might be the equivalent to the laundry basket being half full. Depending on your body weight, of course, five kilos is not a huge amount of weight to lose. And if you handle it earlier before you get any heavier, it will be much easier. However, if you continue to let things build and build, the task is going to seem a lot more challenging and you'll only face it when you see a photo of yourself that you're ashamed to look at, when you can't face the scales anymore because you're scared of what you'll see, when you put on that item of clothing and it no longer fits. And as tempting as it might seem to put off doing that laundry early, it's so much better for us in the long run. And as you can probably tell, I am not a fan of people putting off things that are so, so important. So I'm not going to judge you for how frequently you do your laundry, but I do want to go through why you shouldn't hold off on your journey. And as this show is always about presenting both sides of the argument, I do want to discuss when it might not be the right time to start and what you can do in the interim. So let's tackle common reason number one. Firstly, I have so many socials at the moment. And as I discussed a few episodes back, we're experiencing the contrast effect when it comes to socializing at the moment. Like we've not had the ability to socialize as we would have liked to for like over a year. And naturally we are going to be arranging to do things because we want to express our freedom. It's completely normal. But the thing we have to remember here is that we had pretty busy social lives in 2018, 2019, maybe not quite as hectic as now, but these were normal things that we needed to navigate. If you can manage one social scenario effectively, and if you need to learn how to do that, head back to episode 35, I've given you 10 actionable strategies on how to do this, then you can handle five in a week, as long as you make a plan and you're intentional about it. Don't get me wrong, you might not be able to make as much progress as if your social calendar was clear, but prior to lockdowns, when was it ever clear? When did you have 12 to 16 weeks free, nothing on your schedule? I'm assuming that you probably didn't. And in reality, the all or nothing approach will not serve you here. I really need to do a whole segment on the all or nothing approach when it comes to health and fitness journey, as after I've really had some deep thoughts about it, it's ineffective and nonsensical if you want long-term results. But I digress. (laughs) reality is that even with five socials a week on your calendar, you can make progress with the right strategies and preparation. It just comes down to making decisions that serve your goals. So on to the next, this one's I'm hearing a lot. My friends and family aren't helping. Okay. So I've realized that I've probably been a little bit too nice to you guys at times. I'm going to be honest here and I will reiterate, I want people to socialize. I want people to enjoy their freedom. This has always been my philosophy when it comes to health and fitness. However, this is just an excuse. I'll repeat, blaming your friends and family is just an excuse. I'm not going to make any apologies here. Your health and fitness is your responsibility. I'm going to repeat that. Your health and fitness is your responsibility and no one else's. It doesn't matter how many things they invite you to, how much food they bring to these events that you go to, what restaurants they're suggesting. None of this is an excuse. What stops you from saying, I have health and fitness goals and this restaurant might make it tricky. Here's a suggestion that I think we'd both enjoy. What about this? Can we go for a coffee instead of a drinking brunch? How about this? I'll bring my own food to the picnic, but I'll bring a plate of something for everyone else to enjoy. What about this? I'm not going to drink tonight. I've got a wedding coming up later this week and I'll know I want to drink when I'm there. The answer to that is nothing stops you from saying any of those things. But my friends and family are telling me I'm being boring. They say I'm always dieting. They ask me when I'm going to be normal again. And this is where you, yes, you need to take ownership and communicate effectively and clearly. Elliot, I've told them, but they still don't understand. 
My question, do your friends and family love you? I really certainly hope they do, and I'm sure they do. If you've told them clearly and consistently and you've upheld your boundaries and you want to stick to those commitments you've made, the problem is with them if they are not understanding. And if they're a family member who you can't perhaps avoid, you need to politely disregard anything that they say that does not serve you. And this is a tough pill to swallow, especially if it's parents, in-laws, grandparents, close friends, etc. But what would you prefer? To live by how they want you to live or to live how you want to live. And as I mentioned recently on IG2, you should never have to hide something that's going to make you happier, healthier, fitter, more confident. You are leveling up. You're becoming a better version of yourself. You should never have to hide this. If you are because of what people say, you may need to dig deeper and think, why am I hiding this? Is it because they might not accept me? Because I might not fit in? Because I might fail on my health and fitness journey and I fear that I tell people and they might see that I fail? They're good questions. So answer those questions. When we ask good questions, we get good answers. So on to the next. Elliot, I want to enjoy myself. Me too. I might be a health and fitness coach, but guess what? The pizza you're eating tastes just as good to me as it does to you. The ice cream that tastes just as good to me as it does to you. If enjoying yourself can only look like eating and drinking gluttonously every time you go out to a social scenario, I would argue that your perception of enjoyment is perhaps placed in the wrong place. And as I've alluded to before, food is synonymous with these holidays, with these social occasions, etc. But what we have to remember is that it's more about the interactions with the people that we're going to these social occasions with. It's more than the food. And I'll admit there are some occasions in which, you know, having certain food or drink may provide a little bit of extra enjoyment in the situation. But this doesn't mean drinking to get drunk. It doesn't mean eating until you can't move. And I'd actually argue that with both food and drink, there comes a point of diminishing returns. Let's take pizza, for example. You start eating the first few slices and life is great. It tastes good. You feel good. And what happens by the end? You know, once you finish that pizza in the side, you're bloated, you're lethargic, uncomfortable, and you might have digestive challenges the next day or almost immediately, in fact. How about alcohol? First few drinks, super enjoyable, you know, getting a nice little buzz. And then each drink you have into the night, you're basically signing yourself to write off that next day. And this is why I'm not actually that big of a fan whatsoever of getting drunk. I don't feel to sacrifice an entire Saturday or an entire Sunday just for the extra potential fun of like a Friday or Saturday night. But I digress. That's my opinion. You know, everyone can make their own opinions. The long and short of this is that if you can't enjoy yourself without overindulging, I think it's important to ask yourself the question, why? Maybe the company you're hanging out with isn't that great. Maybe you need a period of abstinence so you can reset what your enjoyment levels are actually like. Maybe you need more enjoyable hobbies or more enjoyable things outside of these social occasions. Maybe you need more time off and more time to yourself. I hope that you guys are seeing as much as these reasons are totally legit, the validity of them being excuses as to why you cannot make a commitment to your health and wellness are relatively invalid, to be completely honest, in my eyes. I would love to hear from you if you disagree. I truly would. Like, I am super open-minded and would be keen to see if there are any compelling points against what I just mentioned. But I do truly believe that if you adopt this mindset and you do have health and fitness goals, you will succeed. So on to the next, when it might not be a good time. And I always use this phrase, you can do anything you want, 
but you might not be able to do it all at the same time. I believe we should all level up to the best of our abilities, but we should also be mindful of our own bandwidth as well. Starting a new business, having a child, beginning volunteer work, maintaining your day job, and taking on 110% commitment to your health and fitness will probably lead you not being able to give your all to any of these, and maybe even potentially burning out, to be completely honest. It might work for some people, but most of us have limited bandwidth and time for that matter of fact as well. So take an honest assessment of your life. And if you feel like there is just too much going on, like that's okay. And the most important thing is here is that we just have to be honest with ourselves. However, this is where that all or nothing thinking should not come in. Even if you've got a lot on your plate, nothing stops you from drinking a little bit more water. Nothing stops you from replacing the carbs on your plates for vegetables in one or two of your meals. Nothing stops you from taking 10 minutes out of your day to go for a short walk. Something will always be better than nothing. And if we go back to that laundry basket analogy, maybe you just do a half load in the meantime. So that basket doesn't overflow. And actually, as I come to think about it, I still think that no matter what, we should always be aiming to do at least something. Even if we have medical conditions, family grievances, really, really challenging personal circumstances, even if we can just make a 5% effort towards our health and wellness, we will be in a better position and actually be able to handle these challenging circumstances even better. So I hope that was helpful, guys. I know that was quite strong (laughs) with you guys in that one, but I hope that you can see that it comes from a place of care and hopefully that will serve you well. So to summarize, you'll never find the right time. So just start and be prepared to navigate the challenges as they come. There's a cost to inaction. Your reasons are legit, but they shouldn't be used as excuses. Next, take an honest look at your current circumstances and commitments. And finally, something will always be better than nothing. All right, that's that one. And we're on to our final question. Elliot, is it better for me to have plant-based milk or cow's milk? And this is a good question. And I'm actually blown away at the popularity of plant-based milk over the years. I feel the brand Oatly have come into the scene with their unapologetic marketing and have really opened up the space for plant-based milks to come into their own. And I say this because prior to Oatly and their quite bold marketing, the only reason like I would have known of any other milk than cows is through bodybuilders who used to seem to know and drink a lot of almond milk, especially the guys in the US, as it wasn't as easy to get as hold of as it is these days. And for damn sure, you can get it in coffee shops either. Like I think soy was probably the most popular in coffee shops back in the day, but now you have cashew, coconut, hemp, and just so many more others. So, so I don't feel like this question is going to take me too long to answer. And I do know that some people are extremely against humans consuming cow's milk. However, if I'm honest, I'm a little bit more relaxed about this. And what I want to start by doing is revisiting what I mentioned a couple of episodes back about lactose. And I quoted this, globally, 70% of adults are deficient in intestinal lactase, the enzyme required for the digestion of lactose. In these individuals, the consumption of lactose-containing milk and dairy products can lead to the development of various gastrointestinal symptoms. And therefore, if you are part of the 70%, it might be a good idea not to consume cow's milk unless you want to experience digestive discomfort and, you know, a plant-based option in this case may be superior. And as I did mention in the previous message too, the dose is pretty important as well. So you may be able to get away with a dash of milk in your Americano or tea, but a latte or a glass of cow's milk could potentially ruin your stomach. So it's important to be aware of this. And just as a heads up, if you're a parent out there and you're thinking about your child's calcium levels, some of the richest sources are non-dairy. For example, 
poppy seeds, sesame seeds, chia seeds, all rich in calcium. Salmon, beans, lentils, almonds, leafy greens, etc. They're all rich in calcium. Like milk, cheese, and yogurt are good options and fairly cost-effective as a matter of fact, but dairy-based calcium is not your only option. And in regards to what option you should choose when it comes to plant-based, this is where you want to consider the certain options. I feel like a lot of us just go based on taste, to be completely honest. But when it comes to oat milk, for example, it can be a little bit higher in calories than traditional cow's milk, So especially if you're opting for semi-skim. So let's take a latte, for example, and I'm going to assume that you're looking at maybe a know this is rough guesstimation here 250 mils of milk in a regular or a large latte so i've just pulled the nutritional information of oatly barista edition uh semi-skimmed cow's milk and then Alpro's Barista Edition of Coconut Milk. So for the Oatly, 250 mils would roughly be 150 calories, 7.5 grams of fat, 16.5 grams of carbs, and 2.5 grams of protein, which is quite a lot of fat and carbs, right? And it is really sad because I love an oat latte. I really do. <laughs> so onto semi-skimmed cow's milk, which again, 250 mils would roughly be 125 calories, 4.5 grams of fat, 12 grams of carbs, and 9 grams of protein. So I'd say that the macros are slightly more favorable. You get a little bit more protein. However, like I just wouldn't ever drink a cow's milk latte. And on to the final one, the Alpro Barista Edition Coconut for 250 milliliters would roughly be 83 calories, 3.5 grams of fat, 8.25 grams of carbs, and just under four grams of protein, which is quite surprising, actually. I always assumed that coconut milk was slightly more calorific than the others, but that's really, really good to know. So I will make the caveat here that it really does vary from brand to brand, and even something like almond milk, where you'll want to be mindful of if it's sweetened or unsweetened, as the carb content will change a fair amount. But personally, I'm not against a dash of cow's milk if your body can tolerate it. I'm not considering the wider implications here or the ethical implications either, but just from a digestive and calorific standpoint. Lacto-free is also an option for those of you who are in a committed relationship with cow's milk or just aren't a big fan of plant-based entirely. So, however, there are an abundance of plant-based milks out there that are made with not much more than the primary ingredient itself, oat almond, coconut, etc., which are likely to be a lot more friendlier on the digestive system and come without any potential health implications too. So main thing to be mindful of is the calorie content within them, especially if you're on like two or three oat lattes per day. So that rounds up today's episode. I really hope that you guys enjoyed this one and took a lot away. There was a lot of information in this one. So I hope you guys took some notes and will be able to apply some of it on your journey or share these facts with your friends. So if you enjoyed the episode, you know what to do screenshot and tag me on instagram i love it when you guys do that and give the show a five star rating of course that is everything from me today i'll catch you guys on episode 40 take care and we'll speak soon and that was the simply fit podcast i hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode i feel inspired to improve your health and well-being be sure to search for simply fit in apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast from And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.